setting out on a journey through the desert, what things would concern you? Would you be concerned that you might not have enough water to be able to drink? Would you be a little bit concerned that you may need food to eat? Would you be aware of the various animals that might be a part of the desert? Snakes and other things such as that. Would you be fearful that you might be lost and not be able to find your way and perish in the desert? The children of Israel set out on a journey and there were dangers in the desert. And yet the dangers that they faced were not all external, but they were internal. And last week we began a series of lessons for four weeks on the subject of dangers in the desert. Last week we discussed doubt. This week we're going to discuss being discontented. You see, there are great lessons to be learned from the book of Exodus. God both tested and taught the children of Israel. He tested their resolve. He tested their commitment. He tested them to see whether or not they truly loved him and would follow him. And God taught them patience. God taught them dependence upon him. When we read and study the account of the Exodus, in my judgment, we can see the errors of the people very clearly. We cannot see those same mistakes in ourselves nearly as easily. We find ourselves looking and saying, why did those people not trust God? And then we fail to realize that times we do not trust God as much as we ought as well. It is dangerous to be discontented with the blessings that God gives us each and every day. This lesson this morning will be a study of the book of Numbers, chapter 11. And I'd like to encourage you to keep your Bibles open there. We're going to study the book of Numbers 11 for just a few minutes. We're going to look at four things. We're going to look at their distorted view. We're going to look at the discord that was sown among them. We're going to look at the distribution of responsibility by God. And then finally, we're going to look at the discipline that God brought upon the people. And as time permits, we'll look at some spiritual development that we ought to take from this. Let's begin, first of all, with the idea of distortion. Look with me at verses 5 through 9. And the children of Israel said, We remember the fish which we freely we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Now our whole being is dried up. And there's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like coriander seed. And its color was like the color of bedellum. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it with millstones and beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry, prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. 
You see how quickly their vision becomes distorted? If you go back to Numbers chapter 10, you will find near the end of that chapter that the children of Israel broke camp from Mount Sinai. They made their journey north only three days in the wilderness, and it's amazing how quickly your perception can change in just a short period of time. They changed their vision from the promised land to problems in the land. And I don't know if you can think about something specific in your life. I can think of several instances in my life where I allowed problems to change my perception and do so quickly. I'm just going to use one illustration if you don't mind. Several years ago, we took a family vacation to go to Disney World. On this occasion, Caleb Graves went with us. While we were on the journey, we had such a wonderful time at the beginning of the vacation. But on the way back, there were numerous fires in northern Florida. And when we got to Gainesville, Florida, an air conditioner went out on the vehicle. We stopped in Gainesville. We stopped in uh, several other towns trying to find someone who could repair it. There was none. It's about 105 degrees with smoke blowing and uh, trying to drive in that weather with two teenage boys. It was tough. And I can tell you, my perception changed from an enjoyable vacation to one that was awful. First part of it was good. But you see, we allow sometimes our perception, our focus to go from being one thing to being another because of the problems that we face. You see, difficulties have a way of distorting our perception. The children of Israel had faced some difficulties, some trials in the wilderness. But this is only three days. And they've already allowed themselves to have a distorted vision. Let's look at their distorted vision. If you look in this text, first of all, they had changed from the blessing that God had given them of being something good to being something negative. The gift of God, which was the manna, was viewed as worthless. They had no appetite for it. Really? Already? I want you to listen to the New American Standard Translation of verse 6 because it takes that idiom there which talks about being dried up and translates it like this. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing to look at except this manna. We don't desire it anymore. We don't want it anymore. If you go to chapter 21 and verse 5, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Did you hear what they were calling the blessing of God? Our soul loathes it. They refer to it as worthless bread. Their view of the blessings of God is it's not something worthy to keep. But I want you to notice the positive. What do they remember? 
They remember being in Egypt. But they don't remember the bad stuff in Egypt. They remember the cucumbers. They remember the melons. They remember the various foods, the garlic, the onions that they were able to eat. What about all that misery which caused them to cry out to God and say, God, deliver us. Listen to Exodus 5, verses 13 and 14. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was strong. And also the officers and the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them when they were beaten, were asked, why do you have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? You see, the straw had been taken away, but they didn't diminish their quota. And they kept saying, hurry up, hurry up, get it done, fulfill your quota. They forgot all that. But you see, they had a distorted vision. God's blessings were now viewed as negatives. The place that had been so bad, they had now viewed as positive. Do you realize that in this world in which we live, it is easy for us to get our priorities out of uh, correct view? We can allow ourselves to have a distorted vision where we call something good bad and something bad good. Listen to Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The children of Israel had a distorted vision. Now, second of all, notice with me the discord that developed. Let's look at verse 4 and verse 10. Now, the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? Drop down now to verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. I want you to key on some words in those two verses. I want you to key on the words mixed multitude. Who are those folks? I want you to notice the latter part of that. So the children of Israel also wept and said, Who will give us meat to eat? I want you to notice in verse 10, Everyone at the door of his tent. The mixed multitude, or if you're reading other translations, the rabble, refers to the Egyptians, the non-Jewish people who were among them. If you go back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, And a mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. There's some different people among them. Who are they? Leviticus 24, verse 10. Now the son of an Israelite woman whose father was... Egyptian. I want you to notice it wasn't just the children of Israel who went up on this exodus. There were some non-Jews among them. They are the ones who start this idea of we've got to have some meat to eat. The influence was so profound 
that the children of Israel, every one of them, wept every one at the door of his tent. It's almost like it was a wildfire that began to spread among the people and the discontent was something that just spread throughout all of the children of Israel. Someone always has to start discord. Someone always has to be the person there who begins the difficulty. Which leads me to the point is, God doesn't like this. In fact, the Bible says he hates it. Listen to Proverbs 6, 12 through 14. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes, he shovels his feet, he points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. You go further in the chapter, verses 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among his brethren. You see, God doesn't like this. Some people cause other people to stumble, to fall. Matthew 18, 7, Jesus said, Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. You know that it's going to happen, but don't let me be the one who gets it started. I think it's important that as we look at going through this world, which is our wilderness wandering, should we ask ourselves, am I the troublemaker? Am I the one who's the stumbling block? Am I the one who's sowing the discord among the brethren and causing the difficulty? Point number three, the distribution. Look with me at verses 11 through 15. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child? To the land which you swore to their fathers, where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me saying give us meat that we may eat do you know what Moses is saying he said Lord I didn't beget these people these are not my children and yet I am responsible for them listen to chapter 11 verses 14 and 15 now I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me if you treat me like this, please kill me right here and now. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. Moses is saying, God, I can't do it alone. The pressure, the burden is too much for me. Moses takes the problem to God because he knows he cannot solve it alone. What was God's solution for this? 
God's solution is to distribute the responsibility. Others to help carry the load. If you look at verses 16 and 17, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. God said, Moses, I hear your cry. I see the pressure that you're under. And so, Moses, I am going to help you spread this out over 70 men who will help you bear that burden together. See, too often, man fails because he does not carry his request to God. Stated very simply in James chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. Moses was in the practice of, here's a problem, here's a burden, here's a difficulty. I'm going to carry it and place it before God. I'm trying to do His work. I'm trying to accomplish the task that God has given me, but I'm having trouble with it. You see, God knows the value of shared responsibility. In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, two are better than one. Because they have good reward for their labor. For if one they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though they may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You see, Solomon understood that principle of writing by inspiration. And that's the reason why in the New Testament in Galatians 6 and verse 2 we're told to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The idea of shared responsibility. You could go into great detail here. But I want to go to number four and that is the discipline that God brought on the children of Israel. Look with me at verses 18 through 20. Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? God granted their wish above what they wanted. Give us meat to eat. God says, okay, I'm going to give you meat. Not just one day, not just two days. You're going to get it for a whole month. Now, I want you to do a little calculating here. Their desire was fulfilled 
over much. I want you to notice with me verses 31 through 33. And I will tell you as I read this, 10 omers translates into our understanding to about 3,500 pounds, one and three quarter tons, 500 dry gallons or 60 bushels to give you some sort of comparison. Now wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side. All around the camp, two cubits above the surface of the ground. Cubits 18 inches, 36 inches. That's where the birds were flying. And all the people stayed up that, all that day and all that night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered the least gathered ten omers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still in their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. Now, if you read this and other passages, it's clear that God intended this for a discipline. I'm going to make you see what you have asked for. Psalm 78, verse 29. So they ate and were filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not deprived of their craving, but while the food was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. In spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. Do you hear that? They still sin. God did this to get their attention. And it didn't get their attention. Very quickly, what should we as Christians take away from this? Number one is to learn contentment. Learn. You're not born with it. It's something you learn. That means it's something that we have to learn ourselves. It's something we have to teach our children. Philippians 4 and verse 11, Paul says, Now, not I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness, content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can depend on God. Second of all, you think about what do our prayers reflect? You think about the cry of the children of Israel and you think about the cry of Moses. What was Moses asking God? Moses was saying, God, help me do what you gave me the job to do. What did the children of Israel say? God, give me what I want, my fleshly desires. Do your prayers reflect like those of Moses? I want to do what you gave me to do, God. Give me the strength. Give me the ability. Give me the help. Or do our prayers reflect the intense cravings of our desires? Only you can know what it is for which you pray. Do not let people distort your spiritual perception. There are going to be people who will try to sow discord among us. There always have been. There always will be. 
And the Bible still says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Don't let people distort your spiritual perception. Next, beware of those who sow discord among brethren and with God. Learn to take your problems to God. Be willing to be an instrument of God to help others. I think of those 70 men who served. They were instruments to be helpful. Be careful for that which you wish. You may just get it. You know, Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That means don't try to place it in your life. It's dangerous to become discontented. You may think that the children of Israel, as they were going out, there were a lot of problems they were going to have to face. But one of their greatest problems was discontent, being dissatisfied with God. And I will tell you, it is much easier to see the negative rather than to praise the good. It's much easier for me to criticize than to praise. You think about in and of yourself. We all have to judge our own selves. Is it easier for me to try to lift up, to encourage and help, or is it easier for me to say, I don't like this and I don't like that, and I want this and I want that, and you've not given me this and you've not given me that. Don't allow that to live in your life. Discontentment leads to a number of other sins as it did with the children of Israel here. God is worthy of our trust, our appreciation, and our adoration. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You see, the Lord has provided for us the means to be forgiven of our sins. Jesus died on that cross so that you and I can have our sins forgiven. We ought to really appreciate that. He has also lived a life to show us how to live in this ungodly world. It's not going to always be easy, but God will provide a way. This morning, if you need to become a Christian, we urge you to respond by faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing that faith, and being baptized. If you're a child of God who needs to come home, we urge you to do that as we stand together and sing.